0: Hey Brad, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Aki. For more recent subscribers to the show, Bradstone, tell us who you are.
1: Well, I'm a, f- i am guess I'm a former Decrypted host. <laughs> uh, I help run uh, the Bloomberg Technology team, and That's I'm right. a fan of the show.
0: You and I were the original co-hosts of Decrypted, um, and you took a break from hosting this last season, and I invited you back because we have an announcement. We do. Uh, Do you want to do the honors? Sure.
1: So this is a very special episode of Decrypted. Mm -hmm. It's actually our last episode after, what has it been, three or four years? I
0: think uh, three years and... Three months. And is that right? over
1: one hundred episodes. Yeah. Which qualifies us for syndication, I believe, on, oh, is on that right? one of the old UHF channels, if they still <laughs> do that anymore. Um but this is our last episode of Decrypted to make way for something new and
0: exciting. Yeah, that's right. So after three amazing years, we're gonna be winding down the show to make room for a new show, um, led by our executive producer Sean Wen. And I think we'll be announcing more details on that show next spring. And our listeners should stay subscribed to this feed to get updates.
1: Absolutely. I mean, we have gotten so much positive feedback from our listeners over the years where we just have so much gratitude to how they have stayed with us uh, in these turbulent (laughs) times for technology. And there is exciting stuff ahead.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just want to say thank you. You know, it's been um, such an amazing three years. I've loved going to conferences and just meeting new friends and then being like, oh, you know, I listen to Decrypted.
1: When I think back to 2016 and those first episodes we did – Mm-hmm. The first episode was about fab.com. It was a kind of dot-com disaster <laughs> story. Right. But it, it felt like an outlier then. And you can really chart the evolution of the show and see really the evolution of the industry and how, how bad things have gotten for tech, how public perception right. and media perception has changed.
0: Right. And we've covered all of those stories over the years. You just I've been looking back at our back catalog and, you know, so many of the episodes we've covered have been about that shift in perception on the industry.
1: So if we go back and, and look at or listen to some of those early episodes, uh, do they hold up,
0: Aki? I, I think I'm a little, <laughs> I think I'm a little too scared to listen to those first few ones. I feel like uh, we were we really, learning. We were. That's a very gentle way to put it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've I've loved all the episodes that we've done, all the stories we've done. I've learned so much through the process, and yeah, it is with a little bit of a bittersweetness that we say goodbye to our listeners.
1: So when long-running sitcoms wrapped up, they often did a Greatest Hits episode and they revisited some of the earlier episodes. (laughs) Should we do that now?
0: Yeah, I think so. Let's do it. Okay, so let me play you a clip from a relatively recent episode and see if you remember it.
1: There's a uh, kind of an intensity that comes along with it. You feel kind of uh, a little more alert a little stronger, a little more in the present. Uh, And there's also a little bit of a buzz that uh, can be too much. Kind of sounds like you're explaining an adrenaline rush almost. It's very much like that.
0: Stacy's smiling, Brad.
1: Yes. Well, first of all, the giveaway is that uh, very distinct Australian accent, <laughs> or New Ze- sorry, New Zealand accent, from the one and only <laughs> Olivia Carville, and this is the amazing episode about the the plasma injection startup, right? The company that was trying to make people feel younger.
0: That's right. Um, so when we ran this episode, the FDA had just sent out a statement telling consumers that transfusions of blood from younger people is not proven to make you healthier, and even noted that it could be dangerous. And so Ambrosia, the blood transfusion startup, had closed. But have you followed the story over the last few months?
1: I have not, but I have to say from Olivia Carville's amazing work on the, on the article and on the podcast, uh-huh. that company, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, okay. it was yeah. not going anywhere.
0: Uh, so amazingly, oh God, uh, I'm pub- wrong. a publication called One Zero reported last month that Ambrosia resumed their blood transfusion service, despite the letter or the uh, statement from the FDA. So the blood is coming from donors 16 to 25. They're charging $8,000 for one liter transfusions and $12,000 for two liter transfusions.
1: If you could excuse me for a second, I'm going to go sign up right now.
0: (laughs) A few thousand dollars rolling around and, you know, the end of the year is making you feel a little old. All right. <laughs> a reporter who worked on the original episode, Olivia Carvel, emailed the company for comment. Uh, the CEO, Jesse Carmazine, uh, I think that's how you pronounce his name, who's still running the company, confirmed that Ambrosia, this is the blood transfusion startup, is in fact up and running again. Uh, he wrote, "Quote: I've consulted with a number of lawyers who are experts in FDA regulations and feel confident I have a legal right to continue offering this treatment." Please note, the announcement did not mention Ambrosia, and furthermore, it contains no requirements on companies.
1: I should just say here, Bloomberg and uh, Bloomberg decrypted. Bloomberg Tech does not condone or endorse
0: <laughs> the use of plasma
1: injections.
0: <laughs> okay, so let's move on to the next one.
1: We know that the title has to be tilted. We know that we have to exclude the facts. Because if we say anything good about the opponent, then people are going to be like, oh, you're liberals. You're closet liberals. So there is no room to be objective. There is no room to deliver quality. The market has always responded, no, give me garbage, give me outrage, give me you know, clickbait.
0: Do you recognize it, Brad?
1: That's our fake news episode.
0: That's right, yeah. Sarah Fryer, right? That's right. Um, So Sarah and I went to go meet this uh, young internet news entrepreneur named Cyrus Masumi, uh, who built this huge business around hyperpartisan, misleading content off of Facebook. And Facebook cracked down on sites like his right after the 2016 elections. And I keep coming back to this episode because it turned out to be just phase one of Facebook's battle to clean itself up. Facebook has gone so much. Further now, um, and I mean, looking at Facebook today, it feels like a totally new site to me.
1: Something tells me, though, that our fake news purveyors are doing just fine. <laughs>
0: So uh, I reached out to Cyrus the other day to see how he's doing. Um, if you remember when we ran our episode, he'd already shut down his hyper-partisan conservative website, MrConservative.com, but kept the site's Facebook page up and running and shifted his focus to this hyper-partisan liberal site called Truth Examiner. So the update is, last year, Facebook deleted the Facebook pages of Mr. Conservative and Truth Examiner as part of a purge of site he owns. Um, And a Facebook spokesperson told BuzzFeed that Facebook deleted the pages because their administrators were using fake accounts and violating Facebook spam policies. I wrote to Cyrus a few days ago, and he told me, quote, Facebook destroyed $5 million of my assets and fictitiously claimed I was a robot, Uh, But he also said he's figured out a way to, quote, ghost in, those were his words, and quote, I will be participating in the next election. I wish them the best of luck in hunting me.
1: Why do I feel like (laughs) in about two decades, we're going to see Cyrus as like the chairman of a campaign?
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, I think that's just further proof that uh, Facebook is continuing to crack down on all this toxic content that we've all become so disgusted with. Although, of course, Cyrus determines to keep testing well, the limits. Well, there are
1: entrepreneurs that are just not going to give up.
0: Right. Okay, so let's move on to the next episode. I sat there uh, playing with the kids, and every day I would take it to church.
1: And, uh, you know, I started seeing Con Edison trucks parked out, from out in front of my building, uh, people hiding in vans with paperwork, peeking at me.
0: This We don't know what Poopy's doing, but, you know. Something's not right, but nobody could tell me specifically what it was.
1: These little girls, I cannot allow them to go into foster care. They said, okay, well, you admitted to these crimes, we're going to have to charge you with these crimes. Uh, So I knew that I was a goner. I was dead. You know, I was done.
0: So Brad, I see you nodding.
1: Aki, I believe that is your very special friend, Sabu.
0: Yeah, that's right. So this is the episode about the former anonymous hacker, uh, Hector Monsiger, about how he stumbled into this world of hacking as a kid, how he ended up leading these very high-profile attacks, uh, then got caught and secretly cooperated with the FBI, and how he was now trying to rebuild his life after all of that. And I remember
1: he had started a cybersecurity business and was consulting. How's he doing now?
0: So he um, he started working for a cybersecurity company consultancy. Um, Back then, uh, the founder of that company was the only person who'd give him a chance because he was a convicted felon. So I caught up with him just this morning. We spoke for about half an hour. Uh, He left that consultancy just the other month, and now he's kind of at a crossroads. You know, he's trying to figure out if he wants to strike out on his own and start, um, just go the consultant route, or if he wants to work for a different company. Now, I mean, he's built up so much more experience. So, as a result, he's had a ton of offers. um, And he just kind of needs to decide what he wants to do next.
1: Maybe he can go and find the DNC servers in Ukraine that Donald Trump has been talking
0: about. (laughs) (laughs) So interestingly, he's also kind of built out this like career as a speaker. Um, He's given uh, 20 plus speeches this year um, to talk about his life and the lessons he learned having gone through everything. Was
1: that our only two part episode?
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably the most ambitious story that we've tackled. If
1: you have not listened to that two-part episode, you should go back. It's a great one. Uh,
0: Please do. Okay, let's go on to the next one. We are tired. We are really tired because uh, it's uh, 16 months that we fight every day to find the truth, to try to to understand what is happened there. We try to involve all journalists in in Italy, but uh, the 90% of
1: the media and the journalists in Italy, they don't want to talk about this story.
0: Sound familiar?
1: Okay, I'm going to have to confess, it doesn't, but I was cheating. I had to do some, some fast Googling, <laughs> and um, that is the the... Excellent story and podcast that our cybersecurity reporter Jordan Robertson did about the African country of Mauritania.
0: That's right. Um, So it was based on this wild story he tracked down. It involved this shady cyber weapons dealer from India who promised to sell the government of Mauritania software to spy on his own citizens. Right. So
1: sort of the seedy underbelly of the cybersecurity world And now remind me, because there was a a very sympathetic character, a bodyguard, I think, who went there and was imprisoned.
0: Right. So this shady cyber weapons dealer from India was supposed to meet with Mauritanian officials. And ahead of that meeting, had hired this bodyguard from Italy to go ahead and set up that meeting. The cyber weapons dealer ended up never showing up.
1: Uh, But the bodyguard went. Right. So he, me he, what happened he was
0: already there. Um, and because the cyber weapons dealer never showed up, the Mauritanian government took him, held him hostage in a prison for more than a year. What was his name? His name was Christian Provision. And Otto. what happened to Christian? So about half a year after we ran our story, um, Mauritania finally released Christian, the bodyguard. Um, And Jordan and I got to talk to Christian over the phone and we ran an abridged version of that interview on our show. But it was really hard to edit it, you know, because it was clear from the conversation that he's still so traumatized by what he went through. And he was really struggling to form even just basic sentences and stay on topic.
1: So how's he doing now?
0: So I asked Jordan to reach out to Christian's brother, Maurizio. That's the guy you heard from um, in that clip that we just played. And unfortunately, it sounds like Christian isn't doing very well. He tried to sue the man who sent him to Mauritania in Italy's courts, but that went nowhere. He's no longer together with his girlfriend who campaigned for him to be released. He lives with his parents and his mother still has trouble sleeping after all these years. So let me read you what Christian's brother, Maurizio, wrote to Jordan. I told him to forget the story. We live in Italy, and there is no justice for people like us. But I can understand how my brother feels inside his heart. I believe in God, and I'm sure these people cannot escape him. Maybe they can escape Italian justice, but not him. Wow. We'll be right back. Okay, so let's move on to the next clip.
1: So his first question um, was, he said, "Um, so we've noticed that you've been doing some government-related searches. And I didn't say anything to
0: that. And then he said, did anybody tell you to do that? And I said, I'm not going to answer that question. And then he said, well, you're terminated. Effective immediately.
1: Um, And then long, awkward pause. (laughs) And then he said, do you have anything to say? And I said, um, I have some personal items on my desk I, I should grab. And then he escorted me to get that stuff and then out of the building. How did you feel after that? Were you sad? Did you cry? Were you angry? Okay. It... I, was, I was angry. Like, my, my heart was pounding. Um, so mainly angry.
0: Why were you angry?
1: That was unfair. Like, you can't terminate a whistleblower like that.
0: I see you nodding, Brad.
1: Right. A couple of clues here. Uh, first, the the mellifluous voice of our long-lost friend, uh, Adam Satariano, <laughs> who's now a reporter at the New York Times. Right. Uh, and the whistleblower. This is Rothenberg Ventures, the guy who blew the whistle on what was a sort of ongoing and profligate party at a high-profile venture capital
0: firm. Right. Um, so the clip you just heard, that is Francisco Riordan. He worked for Rothenberg Ventures, that capital, venture capital firm you just talked about. Uh, while he was there, he found some improprieties that he ended up reporting secretly to the SEC, and he spoke publicly about that for the very first time on our show.
1: And then things didn't go that well, if I recall, for Rothenberg Ventures.
0: That's right. So when our story ran in 2017, the SEC's investigation was still ongoing. Uh, But in August last year, the SEC formally charged Mike Rothenberg with misappropriating $7 million that his firm raised from investors. And then the SEC and Rothenberg reached a settlement that involved Rothenberg stepping away from his firm uh, and being banned from the investment advisory business. But they hadn't decided on a financial penalty yet with the settlement. And over the summer, after a deeper audit, the SEC came back and claimed that Rothenberg misappropriated a lot more money than was initially thought, more than $18 million, including $3 million, of which Mike Rothenberg allegedly transferred to himself. And with interest and also civil penalties, the SEC is demanding Rothenberg pay a total of about 30 million in penalties. And Rothenberg is now fighting that. So the case has continued. Wow. You know, I was on the phone with Francisco the other day, and he said he was a little stressed and frustrated that the case is still ongoing. After all these years, um, he's still waiting for that sense of closure. Uh, But if you remember when we ran our original episode, Francisco worried that coming out to the world as a whistleblower would just brand him as the big troublemaker right and scare potential employers away um, when i talked to him the other day he said that hasn't really transpired in reality um, he stayed in the tech industry he's working for a new company as a web developer and he's doing really well good for him okay let's go on to the next one he's <laughs> coming to the stadium you're doing great zone four
1: I can see the red ribbon in front of us. This is is the hardest I've worked out (laughs) in a long time. (laughs)
0: The end is in sight. Way to go. Nice. High five. High five. Is he smiling?
1: Yeah, I had hoped to never listen to that again. (laughs) Okay, so this is going to take some explanation. But somehow, several years ago, you got really into fitness trackers and fitness gadgets. You decided you were going to rank them all. Right. And then you had somehow convinced me... To strap a was it move it or move? Move, uh, that's right. I haven't used it since, <laughs> and we that was a workout session where I almost had a heart attack.
0: <laughs> well, I tried. to Remember, I tried to get you to do it in a conference room downstairs, well, that's and right. you refused. No, to thank say you. It. So we went to the gym,
1: <laughs> and I, it's funny because that thing is still in my bag. And oh, I've is it really? Ne- I've never I haven't in my gym bag and I haven't used it since.
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah, I remember you asking me for a link for it and like buying it in front of me. I- I'm disappointed though that you didn't use it. I never used it. So, I bought my own too after that story and I continued using it. Um I just used it the other day. Um it's been pretty great.
1: Now, Aki, as I recall, in addition to reviewing all these fitness gadgets, you also to sort of find a control group. You you hired a an actual human personal trainer, right?
0: <laughs> That's right. So the idea was to compare these uh, gadgets to having a human personal trainer and see which one was better. Right. The human and what, or the whatever machine. happened to her? Uh, so she's still around. Um, I talked to her the other day. She's doing really well. At the time of our story, she was transitioning to launch her own company running outdoor fitness classes called Public Recreation. Uh, they've now raised one point three million dollars in seed funding, and they're about to roll out a new app.
1: So now several years later, what's your verdict, person or gadget?
0: I still think it's person, actually. Um, you know, I would never be able to afford a trainer like her. I mean, she at the time, she charged more than $100 per hour. Uh, but uh, yeah, like, you, like we talked about in the episode, the robo-trainer just doesn't quite motivate you in the way that a real human can.
1: Are you a fan of Peloton?
0: I actually am. Yeah, we had one in um, our old apartment. Um, I got really into it. I think the classes are pretty great. But once again, probably too expensive for me to pay for on my own. So Brad, there's so many more episodes that we could go through, but that would take forever. Um, and we're going to be posting links to the episodes we just talked about in our show notes. I want to zoom out a little bit and speak a little bit more broadly about this moment that we're in, in the history of the tech industry. Uh, I'm still relatively new to tech coverage, but you've been covering tech since the 90s, right? That's right. Uh, thank you, Aki, for, for getting <laughs> me there. Um,
1: yeah, and I've seen a number of media cycles um, in, in, during... During the 1990s, you know, there was a lot of hagiographic coverage. People were very enthusiastic of, of the tech companies whose fortunes seemed to be soaring right along with their stock prices. And then things got tempered a little bit during the dot-com bust, and it seemed like things were <laughs> falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coverage turned negative. And then slowly but surely, things uh, became more upbeat with the IPOs of Google and Facebook. And, and then these incredible startups like Uber— right. um, you know, Lyft, Airbnb. Um, now, more recently, with WeWork and Jewel, um the election in 2016 introducing concepts like fake news into the ecosystem. You know, skepticism, hard scrutiny has really returned. I'd say mm-hmm. more so than uh, the dot-com bust. Mm-hmm.
0: So it, it really does feel like a different moment now compared to three and a half years ago when we first launched the show. Certainly.
1: I mean, I think tech now is almost equated with, you know, fairly or not industries like tobacco or petroleum, you know, Mm -hmm. or maybe financial services. These are the status quo establishments that kind of govern our lives. And I think the media now probably quite rightfully is bringing some very tough scrutiny to bear.
0: Yeah, it's been a really fun time and really great time to be a technology journalist.
1: And it's been it's it's all coincided with the rise of podcasts, which is it's made it so fascinating mm-hmm. to just explore this new medium. And it's actually one of the reasons why we're retiring decrypted. Right. We're not giving up podcasting. We've decided next year to just go a little bit deeper into a couple of stories that we're
0: passionate about. Mm-hmm. So we'll be announcing more details on that next spring.
1: Yes, and I can't wait to get started.
0: Well, for everyone who listened to the very end, Thank you so much once again for listening to the show all these years. And please stay subscribed to this feed because we'll be announcing the team's new show here next year. Uh, you can continue to reach out to me on Twitter at akiito 7. Brad, you're at Bradstone, is that right? That's right. Decrypted's executive producer is Sean Wen. This very last episode was mixed by Ethan Brooks. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Have a great holiday, and you'll be hearing from us next year.